0: Well, good morning. Uh, we have an interesting first passage here this morning on alcohol. Uh, I don't know quite why Bruce chose me for this, but anyway. Um, so it's, uh, the reading is in Proverbs 23, 29 to 35. It's on page 652 in the Church Bibles. So this is what it says in Proverbs Who has woe, who has sorrow, who has strife, who has complaints, who has needless bruises, who has bloodshot eyes, those who linger over wine, who go to sample bowls of mixed wine. Do not gaze at wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Your eyes will see strange sights, and your mind will imagine confusing things. You will be like one sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the rigging. They hit me, you will say, but I'm not hurt. They beat me, but I don't feel it. When will I wake up so I can find another drink?" Challenging reading. so the second reading is in John 4 uh, 5 to 14 it's in page 1065 in the church bibles So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired as he was from the journey sat down by the well it was about noon But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up into eternal life. This is the word of the Lord.
1: God Thank you, Bruce. Good morning, everyone. Nice to see you all. It's good to be in church. And uh, it's good to hear from God's word and to uh, pray together. And Deb has done that for us. So we're going to get right to work and flick back to page 652, uh, the proverb. That's where we're going to spend most of our time there this morning. But I've also put John 4 in the reading for reasons I hope will become clear as we move through. So page 652, that's where the authority is coming from, not from me, but uh, let's get straight to work. I uh, want to start with a story. My auntie, my auntie Anne, God rest her, she, um, she could put on a party. You know these people? She was great at throwing a party. Uh, some people are good, she was great. She really was. And every New Year's Eve, the family, so my whole family, we'd all head down to Browley on the south coast. It was like a um, migration across the Serengeti, but it was the Kers go south kind of thing. And they're just wonderful memories, wonderful memories that I cherish. And at those parties, fancy dress was a must. That was a must. A cricket set was crucial, absolutely. An inflatable ring for the boats. A kilo of prawns. Always some sort of mayonnaise dip that no one ever ate. Anyway, that was there. These are the basic staples of our stay. And here's a photo of my family. As you can see, my dad really got into the fancy dress-up thing. (laughs) And my youngest sister is not in this picture. She's not in this picture. She's missing. But what was never, ever missing is the old six-pack. And you can see that my mum's holding it there in the old plastic rings. My mum didn't even drink beer, right? But... It would have been unthinkable to turn up to one of Arnie Ann's parties without booze. This, this was just normal, just like it was normal at every barbecue to have an Esky. And I remember as a kid, if I'd want a can of Coke, I'd have to wade through the ice and the stubbies and the champagne to get the Coke at the bottom. Right? Alcohol, like my siblings, was just always around. It was always part of, always part of my life which is true, I think, for most Aussies at varying levels. I think that's very true because alcohol is it's so ingrained in our life, in this country. It really is. And some of us grew up with alcohol at home, some of us didn't. Some of us are big drinkers, some of us are binge drinkers. Uh, some of us like to drink a little bit, some of us loathe drinking. Some of us are social drinkers and there are others who might be uh, habitual high-functioning drinkers. And it's fair to say we're all different and we all fall on the spectrum somewhere, but I do think we all fall on the spectrum somewhere. We all have some experience with alcohol. And the way I think about it is walking through our culture is like walking across the sand with wet feet. Bits of it just stick to you. And alcohol is everywhere, and so it will touch you in some way in your life. Now, it can be an issue, it can be, not always, but it can be an issue, and it's clearly an issue for this poor person in our proverb. Now, you can read this and see a drunk, or you can read it and see a person who's perhaps lost their way. This is clearly an issue for the person in our proverb. This is a sad story, it's an alcohol dependency story that's perhaps far removed from our story, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. Sometimes the greatest problem with alcohol is that we don't think it's a problem for us. So culturally, we open up a bottle of vino in the afternoon as mindlessly as we open up a box of cornflakes in the morning. It's just something we do. And when something is so normalised, it can just be harder to track how we're going with it. It really can. But God knows how you're going with it. He does, and He loves you. He really does. And He might speak to you. He doesn't condemn but he might convict, he might speak to you and he might speak to, you, speak to you through this beautiful ancient wisdom that actually speaks to modern issues because it's always been an issue and we need wisdom on this one, we really do. And so as I reflected on Proverbs 23, two things stood out to me because they resonated with me personally. The firstly, first thing is that alcohol can be very attractive and it can be attractive for a plethora of reasons, first thing. Second thing, alcohol can be very destructive. There can be an ugly side to alcohol, there really can. Firstly though, attractive. Verse 30 at the bottom there is interesting and I find it interesting because human behaviour is very interesting and what's interesting about verse 30 is the word linger that I've put in bold there. You see, This person who has all these horrible things going on for them in verse 29 is the one who lingers over wine and samples bowls, notice the plural, bowls of mixed wine. It's fair to say alcohol is not being condemned here. It's the human activity. It's the lingering. Wine is a blessing from the Lord. We know this from passages like Psalm 104, wine gladdens the heart. I was reading some of John Calvin's commentary on this psalm and he said humans would have been perfectly okay with water. We would have. He said but because of God's extravagance he has given us wonderful things like wine to enjoy. But there can be, well there is a line between enjoyment and overindulgence. Lingering means the line has been crossed. Bowls, lingering. This, this is not a few beers watching the footy. This is not what's going on here. That is, this is not the picture that's in mind. This, this is not having a glass of wine with dinner. This is someone who's still sitting around the table after hours, uh, after, after dinner, hours later, polishing off a third bottle. This is someone who makes, perhaps makes an early start in the afternoon and is pretty buzzed by the time you've got to make dinner for the kids. My Scottish family would say lingering means getting sourced, right? Sourced means getting drunk. And we know from Ephesians 5, many of us will know this well, the Apostle Paul says, don't get drunk on wine. But instead, we know it, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, when he's talking about getting drunk in Ephesians 5, it, it carries this idea of being fully immersed, like just soaking in something, the way I think about it, if you think about wringing out a t-shirt that's, been, that's wet, well, same idea, but you're wringing out a person and alcohol comes out because they've got a skin full. That, that's the idea. That, that's lingering. But the question that I was asking this passage all week is, is why? why? Why does somebody linger over alcohol? Like, Why is one or two not enough? What drives a person to linger? And this is not a question I ever wanted to grapple with, but it's a question that I was forced to grapple with. And when you love a person and you see a person making bad decisions with the alcohol, your love means that you just can't write them off. You've got to try and understand why they're doing what they're doing. And so you've got to grapple with this what is so attractive about alcohol and I think the answer is multi-layered and I think it is complex I don't think it's an easy answer but I do think if we go back to the text that verse 31 starts to answer the question of why alcohol can be attractive so this is Solomon if we think about it in its original context think you can picture Solomon with his kid on his lap and he's sharing this wisdom with him. And he says, son, do not gaze at wine when it is red. When it sparkles in the cup. When it goes down smoothly. Now, dad is giving this advice because dad knows. Dad has been around pubs. He's been to weddings, read Ecclesiastes. He did not, Solomon did not hold back. He knows how it goes on the grog. And he knows that there can be an allure to wine that is almost sexual. That's the image here. That's the language. There's, and it's clear that there is a sensory attractiveness to wine or to alcohol. And to be honest, being one of God's good gifts, I don't find that surprising <laughs> at all. If you've uh, ever decanted a good wine, some of you would have done that. You've got the, the smell, the sights, the velvety viscosity of a good drop, like a deep Shiraz paired with a Gippsland Gippsland, um, scotch fillet, can be a sensory joy to draw us in, just, just like a bee is drawn to a flower. Very special. Now, that's one thing, but what draws us in can be more profound than the sensory, and I think that's what Solomon is getting at here. It can be more profound and the sensory, it can be deeply psychological for a person. And I think that the text gives us some hints. You see, you'll notice in verse 5, there is, there's this person who cops are beating. Now, it's probably because of something dumb they've said while they're out drinking, to be honest. That's the, the image we seem to be getting. But the alcohol has had a physiological numbing effect. So, they beat me, but I didn't feel it. When you're you're numb, you don't feel, and sometimes that's exactly what people want. People don't want to think. They don't want to confront that trauma again today, and friend, I get it. This is why people can often be drawn back. Alcohol is easy, it's accessible, it's socially acceptable, you don't need a script to go to the bottle shop, it can be an attractive way to self-medicate. And there's no judgment in that because I get it. Some people drink to celebrate. Some people drink to socialize, to celebrate. Others drink to alleviate. It's a thing. Alcohol can take the edge off things like social anxiety. Dutch courage is the way my mates used to put it. It can also mark a transition point between work and relaxation. And it's this classic unwind time that is ingrained in Australian culture. And my, nan, my nan, again, God rest her, Barbara, her favourite part of the day was drinky poos. That's what she called it. Now, I asked the 8 amers if they'd heard of that. Has anyone else heard of that term? Drinky poos. And so what she'd do, she'd make it fun, Every day, a few jats, bit of cheese, maybe some salami if she was feeling adventurous, and uh, then she'd flick on the bold and the beautiful, and at the same time, she'd flick the lid off a bottle of wine. Every day, easy, easy, and I don't say that to judge, I just say that was a thing. Now I've worked on many mine sites in my life, here's a picture, there's me in the corner near the bucket, I've got a story about this for another time, but I've worked on mine sites and probably about 15 around the country, and the work is hard, it is hot. Getting protein is never an issue because you swallow so many flies. (laughs) I'm not joking, you really do. Getting alcohol is a daily issue because that's just what the lads do after work. It's just what you do. Now, check out this ad campaign. Some of you will remember it. Coaching
0: the crew, or printing the news, or straining till you thought you would burst. You sure got a thirst. A hard earned thirst needs a big cold beer. And the best cold beer is Vic. A long cold Vic. It can come at any time. You're taking a bow, or feeding a cow. Matter of fact, I got it now. Victoria Bitter.
1: It's a hard-earned thirst, needs a big cold beer. Remember that? It was actually on the footy last night, not that ad, but certainly that, um, that mantra, and it's this, it draws us into this idea of drinking through association, like you had to cricket, that the football, had a hard day on the mine site, whatever it is, but it's attractive culturally whether you're on a mine site or manly, I think. It's like you, you do it marking an occasion, or as I said at the end of the day, it's very, very clever. Alcohol can be attractive for many reasons and it's not always an issue, it's not always an issue, but the question that God's people have to grapple is, is, grapple with is, when does it become an issue? And I think it becomes an issue when the alcohol campaign becomes louder than the Jesus campaign, when it becomes more attractive than the Jesus campaign. So, when alcohol becomes the, the healer of our hurts, or when it becomes the antidote to our anxieties, when it becomes the cure for our deepest cravings, when it becomes the only joy in what feels like a very joyless life, when, when, it's, be- when it's a better saviour than the saviour, is the idea, then it's an issue when, craft beer, when we enjoy craft beer more than we enjoy King Jesus, because Jesus wants to be all of these things, right? He, he sees the deep craving, and that's why I put the uh, woman at the well reading uh, in the Bible, Bible reading for us. He sees that, and he cuts through the action, and he sees what's going on in a, in a deeply spiritual way, that there's a craving there that's trying to be filled. Now, that isn't always true for everybody, but it can be true for some of us. A hard-earned thirst doesn't need a bloke, or a beer. A hard-earned thirst needs Jesus, first and foremost. Our deepest longings need a top-up from the living water. It's okay to enjoy God's good gifts. It's when, it's when we flip it that it starts to become an issue. Alcohol can be very, very attractive, and for a plethora of reasons, but it can also be destructive. If you look at verse 31, it's quite a... Um, Quite a, striking, quite a striking verse. Do not gaze at wine when it's red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it goes down smoothly. In the end, it bites like a snake and poisons like a viper. Alcohol can be a blessing, but it can bite. Yeah, After the um, 2019 bushfires, many of us will remember, I went down to the south coast to a little place called Depot Beach. Anybody know where it is? Only one. That's good. It'll remain quiet. No, there's a few more. All right. It's a wonderful spot on the south coast. It's like a second home to me. Now, here's a photo out on the point. This is looking from North Durris back up north. And just over the back of that hill, my grandfather built a house in the 60s. And so after the fires, I went for a walk in that bush, actually, out onto that point. And I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked, not just by the sight, but the silence there, there was not one bird, no parrots, no magpies, no honey eaters, there was no kangaroos, there was no lizards, there was just nothing. Australia-wide, we lost a, a billion animals in those fires. Shocking. There were trees out there, the fire was that ferocious that there were trees out there that were charred beyond recognition. And while I walked through the bush, it started to make me think. And it made me think about my brother's life, the bloke you saw with the cricket hat in the, on in the photo earlier. It made me think about how the landscape of his life is kind of charred like this. As in, it's just become unrecognisable. The guy that I grew up, for, grew up with for 17 years playing backyard cricket Totally uprooted. That's what can happen in a life when alcohol takes hold. It can happen. Friendships, relationships, marriages just left smouldering. And from experience, you can feel just like the guy in this photo. All All you can do is just watch on and just watch the carnage. And it is heartbreaking. It is heartbreaking. And there might be some people here who think I'm being dramatic uh, but if you've lived it you won't think I'm being dramatic. If you've ever had to hide in a cupboard or take your kids out the front or to a friend's place because someone's on an alcohol-filled rampage you won't think I'm being dramatic. If, if you work as a GP, a, a nurse, a counsellor, a psychologist, a social worker, support worker in an ED department, something like that, you won't think I'm being dramatic. Alcohol can bite like a snake. And it can creep up in the long grass of your well-functioning life. And you don't even realise it's a problem until the fangs are in your calf. To quote an old Irish saying, and this is the sculpture that goes with it, first the man takes the drink then the drink takes the man. I've seen that. Many of us have seen that. And it is devastating and it is heartbreaking. Many of us have seen how alcohol can affect people's decision-making. Like the guy in this proverb, you see there in verse 34, you will be like, so this is after knocking back the drink, you will be like someone sleeping on the high seas, lying on top of the ringing, you can make really silly, disa- uh, disastrous, dangerous decisions while you're drinking. You can, everybody knows that. Sleeping up a mask while drunk would be up top of the list. Yeah? Or getting behind the wheel of a car. Drink driving is the direct cause of 20% of road fatalities in New South Wales, and most of them are blokes, 90%. Bad decisions. In Proverbs 31 we read, it is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Now, what does God tell us this stuff? Because alcohol affects the brain. It is a thing. Now, some, I, lo- I love reading some of Ju- um, Julius Caesar's stuff and uh, some historians put his strategic mastery down to his very low drinking. He was always clear-headed. What about Proverbs 20? Most of you will know this. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler. Whoever is led astray by it is not wise. Now, it is true that you're more likely to see a punch-up in the pub than you will in the pews at church. That's, it's true. What's the difference? Well, we tend to worship here and not drink whiskey. That's the difference. Alcohol affects the brain. How many many Christmas dinners have been uh, ruined because someone lost control of their tongue? Alcohol can bite physically too. I don't know if you noticed in the reading, verse 29, alcohol gives this person bloodshot eyes, so they obviously haven't slept well, the capillaries in the eyes, and alcohol is a toxin, it can hurt the body. If you've read any of Winston Churchill's stuff, he talks about whiskey and cigars a lot, but... And in every photo, he's pretty much got a cigar in his mouth. But he admitted he loved his whiskey. And, and he said, more people die from whiskey than bullets. But people would rather be full of whiskey than bullets. And, yeah, it's kind of funny, but he's onto something there. More people die. New South Wales Health, high blood pressure, liver damage, ulcers, lots of different kinds of cancers, memory loss, premature aging. 50%. This one really blew me away. 50% of hospitalisations in New South Wales are due to alcohol in some way. So whether that's falling off a ladder while drinking, whether it's slipping on the dance floor at a wedding, whether it's liver cirrhosis or one of these other things, 50%. That is huge and a huge strain on the health system as well. It is a thing. You might have noticed in the reading that uh, the, the guy in this proverb has woe and sorrow, which I guess is not surprising when we know alcohol is a depressant that can exacerbate our anxieties, just like it can deplete our bank accounts. There are, there's a bunch of proverbs on, on that, by the way. So, we know that alcohol can be attractive, we know that it can be destructive, so how do we move forward as God's people? This is really a question we should ask whenever we Read God's word, or we hear from God's word. How is He trying to change me? What is He doing in me? Is He doing business with me? What does that look like? So, as God's people, how do we move forward? How do we move forward? Well, bottom line, just as a general statement, I think God wants us to enjoy life and to thrive. I really believe that. I think He wants us to thrive physically. I think He wants us to thrive emotionally. I think He wants us to thrive relationally. I think He wants us to uh, thrive spiritually. Those four very important things, physically, emotionally, relationally, spiritually. And so if we open the door to anything that could possibly be detrimental to those things, we need to be wise. So what does wise look like with alcohol? For some of us, friends, for some of us, wise looks like keeping the door closed. If you've got an addictive personality, it just might be wise to treat alcohol like you'd treat asbestos. Like, just don't go near the stuff. Wrap it up, rope it up, put it out the front, just don't go near it. That's for some. Now, often the Scots, certainly in my family, there's a bit of a joke that, you, you know, for Anglicans, you cut them, they bleed Bible. For Scots, you cut them, they bleed whiskey. Right? Now, it's a bit of a joke, but that is a thing. And it could be a thing for me, which is why I don't have it in the cupboard. I just don't have it at home. I'm not saying it is a thing, but it could be a thing, and I know that, and so I just don't have it at home. Two-drink limit, that's my thing. That could be a sensible thing for people. That's not me dictating, that's just giving you something to think about. They're the choices I've made because of the life that I've lived and the people that I've seen. So, that's for some. But for everyone, what does wise look like? Well, honest interrogation. We've got to go there. Someone asked me this week... uh, Because I told them I was talking about alcohol, and they said, "So, how much can I drink? Where's the line?" And we ask that question because we want to nudge the line. (laughs) We want to get right up there, Um, you know. But it's a fair question. It is a fair question. It's a fair question that you could ask. But it's not the question because there's a better question that God's people should ask first. And that question is, "What does God?" It's a very simple question. What does God want for my life today? What does he want for my life today? And it might be worth tattooing that on your arm. What does God want for my life today? And what he wants for your life today is what he wants for it every day, and that is that you would love him with all your heart and mind and soul strength, all that good stuff, that you would love him spiritually flourish, that you would love him. Secondly, he wants you to love your neighbor. Very important. Matthew 22, greatest command. So, is there anything that I'm going to do today that is going to inhibit me doing those two things. Putting on your socks in the morning, that's something you're thinking about. Alcohol might be detrimental to those two things. It might be. Not always, but it could be. And and so now we need to get really specific. If I'm going to love God with all my heart today, before I have a drink, I need to consider if I'm drinking on empty this is really helpful, I think. Am I drinking on an empty soul? Because if I am drinking from the bottle, but I'm not drinking from the Bible, you very well could be looking to fill up and find an answer in grog and not in God. So, before we drink, we must daily tell ourselves that we need to fill ourselves with Jesus. So, Fill ourselves with wonderful things like His promises to carry our fears. He does. His wonderful promises to carry your burdens and to deal with your pain. Friends, we've got to swallow the truth daily that He has dealt with our sin, that He has dealt with our shame and our guilt, and we don't need to hide from it, behind anything. We need to drink that stuff down, absorb the good stuff, absorb the truth that He sees you where you're at, And he loves you absolutely and unconditionally. And he knows what you've been through. And he knows your story. And he knows why you drink. And he accepts you. Just like he accepts my bro. When I'm lying on the floor looking at him and thinking, God loves you, mate. Worship before whiskey. That's the way I think about it. Praise and prayer before Pinot Grigio, whatever, you can come up with a line. Do that first, and you'll guard yourself from, look, from looking to alcohol for answers that it cannot provide. Fill up, love God with all your heart. So, am I drinking on an empty soul? Second, is loving others a daily goal? This is the spiritually flourish, relationally flourish. Will I love my neighbor today? What's that going to look like? Now, this person in the proverb has one trajectory, just get me another drink, They're in this cycle, and it makes it very hard to be other person-centred and to prioritise family and kids and life and financial commitments and just loving and serving other people. It makes that very hard if alcohol is our only trajectory, if that's all we're doing. If that is the case, perhaps we need to rethink our decisions. So if you're wondering if alcohol is an issue for you, I had to wrestle with this all week. If you're wondering if alcohol is an issue for you, have a crack at these questions that I gleaned from a psychologist. Do you regret what you do when you're drinking? Is it getting in the way of other important goals? Is it causing financial stress? Are you in trouble with friends or family or perhaps even the police? What are are people starting to say to me? What's my body telling me? What am I telling me? What's my conscience telling me? If you're, if you're out of the recycling bin and you're trying to be subtle when you're emptying it, what's that about? Interrogate yourself, but please don't destroy yourself. Be honest, but try not to be harsh. As I said at the beginning, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. He doesn't condemn, but he might convict and praise God because the Holy Spirit might be just shining on a little torch in a little area of your life that he wants to bring up and he wants to deal with because he loves you. He loves you. It's the same reason Solomon was talking to his son, because he loves him, loves him. He doesn't, God doesn't convict, but he uh, doesn't condemn, but he might convict. You are loved. I really mean that. You are, God knows you, you are valuable and help is available. Help is available. And I've got some numbers that I can share with you if you'd like to have a look at that. Uh, help is always available, but God is always available, of course, through prayer. And so how about I just finish in prayer and then we can respond in song. I think we're going to sing, Lord, I need you, which we all do. Uh, let me pray. Heavenly Father, you, you made this day. You made all these good Good things for us to enjoy. Thank you so much. Thank you for Jesus at just the right time that he died for us, that he sees us and he loves us. And Lord, I pray that if right now you are bringing something up in somebody's heart or in their mind with regards to alcohol, I pray, Lord, that you'd give them stacks of wisdom to think that through in a biblical and a godly way but also not to crush themselves. And Lord, I pray for that person that perhaps you'd provide them with people who could also be helpful. Thank you so much that we can sing to you, that we know that you don't condemn us, but you might convict us because you love us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.